You are listening to The Gap on KBOO Portland. I'm Althea Billings. Now, if you listen to this show regularly, you know I am not usually the person that does the introduction to our program, but we are here today without my wonderful, incredible co-host, Tammy, who is tied up out of town at the moment. So we are sending her much love and hope that she will be back with us next week. Hi, Tammy. I know you're listening. Um, But this is The Gap Friday Talk Radio here on your community connection, KBOO Community Radio. We like to do a two-parter type of program here. So in the first half, oftentimes we'll do a news roundup or an interview. Today we have a lovely interview. We'll get to that in a second. And in the second half, we open up the phone lines for our community questions. So stick around for 830 as well. Today, it is my pleasure to have two interview guests here in the studio with me. They made the trek in the morning. I really appreciate it. I'm joined by Aviva McClure, the co-director of the Cascade Festival of African Films, and Makosi Anita Tau a writer and award-winning filmmaker from Botswana whose short film, For Them That Pray, is showing at the film festival tomorrow at PCC Cascade. Welcome to the show, both of you. Thank you. Thanks, Althea. How's uh, how's your morning going so far? It's very good. I'm just happy to be here. Yeah, glad glad to have you. you. Um, I can't wait to get into talking about your short film, uh, but I want to set the stage a little bit here for the listener. Aviva, for the folks at home who may not have had the pleasure yet, um, what is the Cascade Festival of African Films? Yeah, we would love to see those folks come out to our festival. Uh, The Cascade Festival of African Films is the country's longest-running African Film Festival. Uh, We've been around since 1991, so for 34 years. Um, And we are an entirely free festival for five weeks, all through Black History Month and into the first week of March. Um, So this year we're running through March 2nd. The last week of our film festival is specifically devoted to women filmmakers, which uh, over the course of 34 years, we've seen a lot more African women in film. Um, And this year, we have almost half of our films by women directors. That's wonderful. And where whereabouts can can folks go to the film festival when are things happening thanks althea so we have uh screenings from thursday through saturday uh every weekend um and most of our screenings are at pcc cascade campus at our moriarty auditorium building um we just have an updated um uh presentation screen everything is kind of new in that space which is really nice We also have some signature events at Hollywood Theater. Tonight we'll be at Hollywood Theater for a screening um, of Sira. Um, And we've had some really great collaborations this year as well with Tomorrow Theater, with uh, Portland Art Museum, um, as well as uh, PCC Sylvania Campus in their big performing arts center. Very cool, very cool. Well, Makosi, I want to talk about your short film that is playing tomorrow for them that pray, since this is an audio medium, P-R-E-Y. It's described as a psychological drama about a young woman in transit perpetually harassed in a motel as she attempts to enjoy a simple night of sleep. Where did the idea for this film begin? This film is a lived experience, and so I dabble a lot in memoir Uh, fiction filmmaking so I draw from my experiences and it came from um, one day I was on transit and I was in a hotel and 
the rest of everything that you want to know about it is in the film. Right, I don't want to spoil too much. <laughs> but yeah, but coming from your experience, is that something that you do with most of your films or is that a unique thing to this short? Yes, it is. I I work towards um, privileging, you know, voices that have struggled with erasure, with silence and with absence in cinema. And my films are usually a confrontation of situations, circumstances, um, even predators. And I make film to uncover the whole story because often I used to make film from a place of this is my story, this is my voice, but now I have a curiosity to understand what did happen. Mm -hmm. what was in the mind of this person and so being able to write these stories to write these films has given me the opportunity to investigate the other side of the story that goes untold mm -hmm. and it's been an opportunity for me to to really understand to have a deeper understanding what we understand better we're able to channel good to implement change and mm -hmm. so that's my yeah. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that there was there was a shift in your philosophy about that. When did that shift happen? Was there a particular inciting incident? The shift happened when I I wanted to be honest about my experiences and all the things I survived because mm -hmm. I think um, I was very I was I was quick to share the story about how I overcame bipolar and how I got healed from that and that's been my life testimony but within that is also the survival of rape you know and I, I, I ignored that for a majority of my life and I didn't want to confront it so and I still told stories about it you know I still tried to create an awareness around it but it was when I started you know being committed to therapy that I was able to confront it on that level. And I think for, for a long time, I actually blamed myself and I didn't know that mm. until I was made aware of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, there's one thing to know it, know what you're supposed to know, yeah. and then there's another thing to know actually and believe. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Well, well, turning to your short film, what was the production process like for this? Were there different iterations of, of what you wanted to do? Uh, so I'll just start here. I I actually didn't want to make this film because I felt like I was alone. You know, I came from Botswana and I landed in Syracuse to pursue my MFA. And when I got there, I didn't meet any Botswana until like uh, my second year, right? And so what happened was I kept looking for Botswana to cast in my film because one of the things that I do with my work is I make space, I hold space for Botswana and my work is to uncover the Botswana woman in cinema because I've not seen myself in cinema, I've not seen my aunts, my uncles, my grandmothers, grandfathers, I've not seen them in cinema and so I wanted a Botswana woman and there was none to cast so I by default ended up being the protagonist in the story so I was literally living through what I went through again mm. and mm. the way that it happened was in class with uh, my then my then mentor um, you know she she had to really pull pull me through to make the film like I, I kept saying I, I can't do that but I ended up with a very supportive team and friends 
And I think the greatest power of filmmaking is collaboration. And I didn't feel alone anymore. Um, it was a majority of men on my set. And I think it worked to my advantage because I was trying to communicate something. And I think they were also able to come to a place of awareness of what it looks like to be a woman and to endure the things I've had to endure. So the process of making the film, the pre-production was very collaborative, but I'm a director who likes, I, I like being on top of things. So the cinematic um, style of the film, the color was pre-decided. I had a test shoot done with a friend of mine who ended up editing the, the film. He was a very instrumental person in me being able to you know, gather myself because he also produced the film and he held me accountable the entire time. And I count him as a friend and an ally. Um, and so it was good to have that support system. 80% of my crew um, was Asian. And then I had, um, it was me uh, and a few casts were women. And so I, I didn't have, my ideal set my ideal team is women, which I was able to do with the film that I just recently completed. But with this one, I think it was very intentional. It was it was necessary to have them there, and they were they were holding space for me throughout the entirety of making the film. To be a performer in the film, to be an actor and and a director, is a very difficult mm. Um, mm -hmm. to juggle. That is very difficult, right. but they made room for that and. You know, with every shot, I would um, have a view of what we have. If I don't like it, we don't go, we don't continue. And they'll give me room and space. And the actor's assistant I had on set, his name is Sam Asgandi, and he's from Iran. Oh, he was such a blessing to have on that set because I could feel safe, like, talking to him about the way I felt because I believe in debriefing. My process is, is very respective to, I, I respect people's mental health a lot and I consider that. So I give people space and room to gather themselves to process their feelings and that, that was pivotal in being able to successfully make this film. Mm -hmm. Well, as you, as you mentioned, you're the director, the producer, the writer, and the star of this piece. And you touched on this a little bit, but I imagine there are a whole bunch of like micro level and macro level decisions you have to make in in each of those roles. Can you give me some examples of like what that what that looks like? Because you're wearing so many hats. Yes, I think the most important thing about you know being a director is is honoring your vision, right? So yes, I experienced it. I knew the feeling that I wanted to give my audience with it. I knew what I wanted it to look like, and this film literally digressed everything that I thought it would be. Mm -hmm. And I say this because initially, I, I, if, I, if I could, I would have shot this film in Ethiopia. That's where I would have shot it. Mm -hmm. I, was I was looking for a cast that I did not find. Everyone in that, that cast really was, it was, it was a blessing to have them, but that was not the initial where I started off. Mm -hmm. So everything just kept on. I had to adapt. There's, there's, you have to adapt, constantly adapt. And I was surprised, though, that while everything was like it, it, it really 
wasn't exactly what I intended in the beginning. It came out exactly what it was supposed to come out mm-hmm. as. The same thing, the same feeling. Um, the experience was like reliving, reliving it. And there's a scene there that, you know, I think some people might think it's acting, but it's not. Like, it's so real. It's mm-hmm. so real to me. And I had to make an executive decision in the edit process because now you have all this information, all this data, and you have to string it together to, okay, how, how then does it become a story? So working with um, collaborators gets to a point where sometimes their voice can be a bit overpowering. Sure. And I'm, I've been given the grace to, to listen. I give people space to speak. I listen. And then I process, and then I see what to do. So we, we, we were at odds. There was a specific scene. We shot. It was a long shot. And it was maybe like three minutes long. That, that wasn't going to happen. That would have made the film maybe 18 minutes. Mm. So we had to cut that up. And the, the process that my editor wanted was more experimental. And I was like, no, we're not going that direction. This is how I would prefer it. So I gave him, I said, we're going to do two things. You're going to come up with your your version. I'm going to do mine. And then we'll sit down and we'll watch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then we did that. Then we took a break. We, ha- we had to take an edit break. We took maybe like a month or two. We came back and then we had a discussion. Okay, how do you feel about mine? Well, I think it's okay. It works. How do you think about mine? Okay, I see. So we got to a point where... I had to hold true to my vision because I am the one who experienced this. I know what happened, but I was open. You know, you still have to be open because collaboration is not dictatorship. Collaboration is being open to the ideas of others and where they can be successful, you have to accept it and you have to make space for that. And I use a feminist uh, approach to filmmaking, which is inclusive of all ideas. And it's important that everyone who, you know, has something to say, something to offer, knows and feels that my, my, my idea is being accepted, it's being appreciated. And so while I hold space at the end of the day, if at the very beginning the idea, the vision has been communicated, our role as creators, as makers, is to honor that. Regardless of even how I feel as a director, especially as a writer, because when you write, you're in a different space. Right. When you direct, you're in a different space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love what you said about collaboration. I think that that applies to so many different things, and, and some, some people need to hear it. Um, well, in the short film, one of the things I really took note of was the sound design. Obviously, I'm a radio person, so I'm a little mm. bit of like a nerd about that kind of thing. But um, the sound design and all the different elements of the film kind of build on top of each other to create that sense of uneasiness, the ambient threat that the main character and the audience feel. I mean, it is, it is, I was like, oh, I know what's going on. I can, I can tell what's happening right now. Um, But there's a moment at the end that takes you right back to kind of the start of the film. And you're left with this feeling of this like cyclical nature of it all. Are there certain aspects of storytelling through film that you are drawn to when you're exploring this kind of a subject? I mean, you mentioned that you know, a more experimental editing kind of thing wasn't fitting with with how you wanted to to create. Um, I think for me, I'll just explain it this way. And you said the word that I usually use to, you know, to articulate this, which is the cyclical nature of abuse. Mm. And one thing I've uh, received 
in conversations with many women is just how repetitive rape is. It doesn't happen just once. It's, I think for the women I've spoken to, so some of the survivors I've spoken to, it's something that happens, it happens again, right? And that's what I wanted to explore. So I thought about, okay, um, in what way can I show this without saying anything, right? And when we went location scouting, I was with my editor, who's also my producer and my friend. When we went location scouting and, you know, we toured uh, around four or five motels, they weren't it. But when I went to the specific motel, there was a staircase. And for me, staircases represent many things, transitions, uh, they're a pedestal, and they're a way of lifting. But there's also, um, you know, the aspect of, uh, of walking through walking into, right? Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I, I emphasize in my work is making room for the silent and small voice. And so I was using this as a metaphorical uh, way of expressing how, you know, I'm lifting the voices of women and underrepresented minorities. And I was using the visual aspect of repetition, mm -hmm. right? But through different bodies to show that it's the same thing. We're literally living the same story. It's just showing up differently. There is a line in one of my poems where I say, um, you know, we keep hearing the same song um, with different people clapping, but nobody is, is taking off their headphones. Mm. So it's like we keep saying it, we, we keep saying it, shouting it out, trying to express ourselves, trying not to be silent, but people still have earmuffs on. Mm -hmm. People still don't want to listen. And so I used repetition. I used the same frame yeah. to show that it's not the same woman, but it's many women who keep enduring and who keep going through. And I asked different, the women that I asked to come on and, and be a part of this film experienced it. You know, they, they were so empowered to be able to, you know, put something to the table mm -hmm. and to stand up for what they believed in. And so for me, to be able to go through that process of it's just location scouting, there's the stairs. What do these stairs mean to me? There's a metaphorical aspect of, okay, this is the language I want to use to communicate. Okay, now let's look at the casting. How do I find these women? Mm -hmm. And the conversations, and conversation when you're, you're, you're um, casting, you'll hear it, you'll see it, you'll feel it, right? Mm -hmm. And then we go through, okay, let's make decisions about the color. I want red. Why do you want red? Because blood. Mm. The sheets were, were, were bloody. Mm -hmm. You know, it, there's, it, everything is tied to experience. Mm -hmm. Everything is tied to symbolism. But one of the things I also want to mention is that culturally, everyone has a specific and unique approach to interpretation because of the cultural context and where mm -hmm. I'm from. So I'm from Botswana. I went to school in South Africa, and then I came to the U.S., right? But I have been exposed to um, the cultures from maybe Ghana, uh, Namibia, Zimbabwe, Zambia, uh, Ethiopia. So it allowed me to think and to sit and say, okay, what could be accepted globally for what I want to say that is mm -hmm. so personal? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even with the sound design. In fact, everything that, that pieces in the film that are from Botswana, 
the the image of the Mashatu vulture that you see there is uh, a photograph by a friend of mine. Uh, her name is Tepo Pokoja, and she's from Botswana. And the audio um, flashback that you hear was by a classmate of mine. He, we went to film school together, and I asked him, I need your help. Go to the studio in Botswana, record this for me, and I want to incorporate it into the film. I carry pieces of myself in my film. Mm-hmm. And even my mom, I directed my mom from Syracuse. She was in Botswana, and she would get into a closet and record, and then send. I'll be like, Mom, no, let's go over it again. We had to do it <laughs> over Zoom, because I'm still carrying pieces of myself into it. Yeah. So every decision is, this is how I view the world. This is my perspective. Mm-hmm. But that is still within the context of collaboration, still within the context of how do we tell a story by a Motswana woman mm-hmm. cinematically, someone who cinema has not held space for them. Mm-hmm. And culturally, sometimes people might not understand what she's communicating. I've been told, like, there's so many things that you'll notice even within the, the story, like, um, in terms of dialogue. That I, I love your accent. I mean, mm. you mm. know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's so much that um, I'm, I was trying to say with this one film, and some of it was, uh, it was empowering to see it actually tangible, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Now you're saying all that, and I'm, I'm eager to, to watch it again, because you've got my gears turning about you know the how deliberate all of those choices were and thinking about the stairs and now i'm thinking about oh well the eye of the camera is Mm -hmm. at ground level and the stairs are going down Mm -hmm. and that's that's where we see people emerging from it's uh i want to watch it again now that now that i've (laughs) I've heard you talk about it um well you're you're sort of a a multimedia person right You, you explore in a lot of different different venues when you find yourself inspired by a new idea does that come with an understanding of the medium that you want to explore it in is it do you know that it's going to be a piece of writing do you know that you want to make a short film i think that's been both a challenge and a blessing i've had situations where i recently came back from like uh, an artist residency program i went to the headlands in san francisco and i went there to write uh, my first feature film and when I got there, I was I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be open to whatever happens to me. And I hadn't written poetry in a long time. I hadn't written short stories in a long time. My focus had just been on graduating, getting getting out of school, and settling myself into this n- next thing. So I ended up, I started off with poetry, and that that is something that I have done from the age of nine. I was published since the age of nine. Mm. And then I, tr- you know, I transitioned from the poetry, and then I wrote a short story, and then I started. Um, I was transcribing the interviews that I did because I'm also writing my memoir. But I, I think the main takeaway from this is that I'm still saying the same thing through all these mediums. I've been an advocate for mental health, for women, for gender equality, uh, for gender-based violence. I've been an advocate from since I can remember from the work I've been doing. And, you know, because it's so personal, I allow my art to take the shape of what it wants to the mm. art mm. direct itself. So my source is God. And when God gives me an idea, it can be visions, dreams. Um, I allow whatever he gives me to be translated through the tools and mediums that he wants. So 
there's a lot of liberty there in that but at the end of the day I I'm holding so much there's so much I'm carrying and sometimes I get to a place where I don't know how to like how do I get this out there mm-hmm. right because I have poems I've thought about poems that I can turn into films I thought about like some of the films I've already shot I can um develop them into features into series and I'm I'm what 35 so I still have a long way to go. And I didn't think that way before. Mm. I always came from a place of, I better do this now. I have to do it now. Uh, there might not be a tomorrow to do it in. And that was coming from a place of, you know, my life story and what I, what I went through. And having lost uh, like my scholarship, having had to do a lot to recover the years that I lost in my life. And... That recovery process looked like, okay, now I have it together, now I'm healed, so now I have to get everything all at the same time. So I was rushing through life. Um, I was trying my best to get everything done, Mm -hmm. and I was so hard on myself because I thought this message needs to come out, it needs to come out right now. And only after I graduated, that's when I realized, you know what, there is room for everything at every time that you know you feel that way just know that the rushing time is over like it's it's i don't need to rush anymore because i'm safe you know i think that mm-hmm. i think that's that's what's been an issue for me mm-hmm. and being able to feel safe and to have my ideas accepted and supported the way that they are i think america for me has done a good job at supporting me mm-hmm. um yeah mm-hmm. uh has hmm. I felt supported here and I feel like I, I'm not creating from a place of the urgency that I have is not from a place of fear mm-hmm. it's from a place of this will be said right? this will be accepted this will be understood and the time for it is going to unravel itself I don't have to fight time to tell these stories time itself will present opportunities mm-hmm. and they the stories will be told yeah yeah what a what a wonderful explanation patience is is incredibly important and so difficult to to hold on to when when you have something to say yeah. well i want to turn to you aviva um you're the festival co-director what drew you to makosi's short film um you know, first of all, thank you for explaining um, just your behind the scenes because this is really the first time I've been able to hear all of that. And it, Althea, your question is great because I think what I'm hearing in Makosi's uh, description is also an openness that women of all experiences and all cultures can find an inroad. Um, So for me, there are scenes where, you know, even being light-skinned, mixed, um, I've been in spaces where I have felt similarly, you know, where I'm like, oh, bracing myself. We've talked about that uh, just this morning, sometimes going into a space and being like, okay, put on your armor, girl. Here we go, you know. Um, And I think in Portland, uh, the story is so relevant for a lot of those cultural pieces because there is a lot that a black woman in Portland needs to check at the door uh, when entering a space. Um, And so I I think that um, there are many themes that 
I relate to, including SA and, and, you know, some of those global struggles that women together are dealing with. So in that way, I think I just found, uh, you know, even though sometimes the story is hard, when you see your story reflected, it feels comforting. It feels like home. Mm-hmm. So, you know, across across the, the, the country, you know, already feeling this connection with Makosi, and then, of course, just hearing her story unfold in the last week, and then in the next two days that she's with us at the festival is such a gift. Yeah, that's wonderful. Mm. Thank you. Well, a question for both of you, then, um, specifically talking about the film festival. What do you hope audiences take away from the experience, either with your short film specifically or the, the film festival more broadly? Um... I I believe that, you know, I was telling um, Aviva the other day when I arrived that it's so rare to see the experiences of a Motswana woman uh, from the lens of a Motswana director. Mm-hmm. And this is because Africa has always been clumped into this monolith and it's almost as though there's no expectation that there's people of different identities, beliefs, and culture within Africa. And I think what this festival is doing is that it's demystifying that, um, that complex, that idea of it being a monolith. And so it's giving audiences the opportunity to look at life through the lens of whomever it is that has been given the platform to showcase. And, you know, when we think about Africa and maybe African cinema, there's industries that we veer more towards. And so for me to be here, I consider it a privilege and an opportunity to represent my country, to represent um, who I am, you know, and to be able to tell the story of a Motswana woman, you know. I think that the doors had been closed for a long time and just making space for this voice is making making space for a nation. It's not just making space for me, but I'm carrying my mother, I'm carrying my grandmother, I'm carrying the women of Botswana, I am carrying the young girls, the young boys. I'm carrying all of my people on my back. Mm-hmm. And the world gets to see that. Mm. And so this opportunity for me to be here, to be present and to engage with the audience is empowering in that sense that we then get to get into dialogue. Okay, so we've seen your film. What's the next step for you? Um, where can we see more of your work? Because you're building relationships. My audiences for me are, are relationships. You know, it's not, mm-hmm. um, oh, you just be on the receiving end. I love to hear what people think about my work. I love to think about it because it tells me what they think about my people. And for them to be in a place to appreciate my people, because I have not seen that. I've not been exposed to that. It's so empowering. It's life-changing. It's life changing. I didn't think um, there's so many things that I fought against me in my life and having struggled with, you know, bipolar for three years, having been sick when I, I thought my life was over. I thought there could be nothing good that would come out of me. And the restoration that's happened after that, the recovery from that, I have nothing to lose by putting my people's stories 
out there. Mm-hmm. And it's just an honor to be able to have an audience even. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Aviva, for the festival more broadly, what do you hope folks take away? Yeah, just underscoring that, you know, importance of people telling their own stories. And for a long time, um, throughout the continent of, of Africa and Africa, you know, we've we've had Western storytellers telling African stories, um, which has its bias, right? So I think that a big part of why our festival is free and open to the public is because we want to create the channels for Africans of all nations to be able to tell their own stories, say their names, bring their their you know ancestors into the space um, and in the in in the ways that I've been involved in the festival I first was an audience member for many years um, my son has grown up with Africa cinema African cinema um, and I've seen through my own child resilience come through through those stories so I think there is this aspect of intellectual knowledge that we get from the film the films but there's also a heart knowledge that we get when we familiarize ourselves with Africa and her people mm-hmm. this has been such a rich conversation I feel like we could go we could go the whole hour but in the interest of preserving your time um, where can folks find out more information both about the festival and if they want to follow up with you Makosi? Uh, so if um, you'd like to engage with me and speak to me, I am on Facebook. It's double M-A-K-G-O-S-I, and then Anita, and then T-A-U, Tau. I am also on Instagram, at um, Makosi Anita. I am also on, oh no, I'm not going to give up TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. <laughs> on Instagram, if you want to email me, it's makosibookings um, at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. And Makosi will be here uh, tonight at our screening at Hollywood Theater for Sira, as well as uh, her Portland premiere, yes. which will happen at 2 o'clock at PCC Moriarty. Uh, so come say hi. Uh, and because we're the longest-running African film festival in the country, our website is www.africanfilmfestival.org. An incredible URL. <laughs> it's pretty awesome, yeah. Yes. Do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? Anything you wanted to mention? Um, I just want to say, you know, Althea, thank you so much, and Tammy, too. I know you're listening. We are just so grateful for this partnership with Cabo, and we share many, many people in our audiences and in even the tech side, the behind the scenes side. We just share a lot of folks who really are committed to making sure that Portlanders have a, have a broader perspective from around the world. So thank you. That's really all I just wanted to say thanks. Yeah, I, I just want to you know express my gratitude to you know Aviva and Eugenie and to the whole committee mm-hmm. um, that puts this festival together like you know to find a place where all my intersections are valued accepted and appreciated has been such a struggle but here I am and my voice is you know being given the space so I really appreciate you on behalf of um, Makhosi 
on behalf of Botswana, on behalf of Africa, and on behalf of black women filmmakers. This is our time and we are grateful. And I also just want to thank you, Althea, for this time that you have given us. Um, and just the time, you know, time is a gift. And to spend it with us is, is, a, is a blessing to me. Thank you for giving us this conversation. It's enriching and it's empowering. You know, the more you hear something, the more you believe it. Mm. And so I have this line where I say, I will say it as much as I can so that I can believe it. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to believe that everything that is has been reiterated here is, is sitting, it's seeping through my heart. Yeah. And I'm really grateful. Thank you. I appreciate you both so much. I, I'm going back to watch the film again after this. I'm gonna re-listen to all of it. Like this is this has been really wonderful. Thank you both so much for being here. Um, I've been speaking with Aviva McClure, the co-director of the Cascade Festival of International Films, and Makosi Anita Tau, a writer and award-winning filmmaker whose short For Them That Pray is screening at the film festival tomorrow. It'll be showing at PCC Cascade along with other short films in the festival at 2 o'clock. More information about the film festival is online at africanfilmfestival.org. This is The Gap on KBU Community Radio. I'm Althea Billings. We're going to take a quick musical break, and we'll be back with our community question in just a few minutes. Stay with us.
Well, you are listening to The Gap on KBOO Community Radio. I'm Althea Billings. Sorry, I'm a little out of breath. <laughs> I was running to say goodbye to my guests. Oh my gosh, what a fantastic interview. Um, but, folks, it is the second half, or the second, like, two, the, the last third, I suppose. Um, and it is time for our community question, the part where you can call in, become, turn from a listener into a caller. Oh God, I'm really out of breath. Okay. <laughs> um, my question for you today uh, is about phone etiquette. Okay. I started thinking about this uh, when I realized that I have, I almost always am talking on speakerphone whenever I'm answering a call. Like I would just rather not hold it to my head. But then I was thinking about what that, what the etiquette is and that prior to smartphones, it seems like the etiquette was better established, but wanting to know what do you think is the proper way to go about things now, whether that is, you know, talking on the phone, using your phone in public. I want to know what is proper phone etiquette or, or do you have questions about what, what good phone etiquette might be? Let us know. 503-231-8187 is the number to call. Oh, I, I should have sat down and take a breath before I did this. So you shouldn't do this on the phone either. Um, 503-231-8187. I'm also opening up the chat on the website. If you would like to message us there, you can also message uh, the Instagram at The Gap Radio. I would love to hear what you think about speakerphone, about, I feel like Bluetooth was one of those ones that that we all kind of agreed almost immediately that dudes with Bluetooth headphones, and it was never women. No, <laughs> that, that was not the stereotype, that, that that was something that was considered rude. But But now with Bluetooth headphones becoming so much more common, I wonder if people still really feel that way. Um, in the grocery line, is, is, is it okay to use your phone? What if the grocery line is long? Um, that, that kind of thing. I would love to know what you think about it. Um, I did do some little Googling for you about what the internet is saying. Some of this is, I think, more on the, on the side of, you know, if you're running a business or something. Um, but I hadn't necessarily heard answer the call within three rings if you're going to be doing your phone etiquette properly. Uh, but I do kind of have it burned into my brain that if I call somebody and I get three rings and they don't answer, ah, I'm going to voicemail, better start thinking about what I'm going to say. And then if they pick up late, I'm, I'm all flustered because I was not, I was not ready to talk to you. I was actually composing a, a little thing that I was going to say. Um, but there are this, this, I mean, and this is a blog, who knows how, how, you know, are, are they the, the, what is it? finishing school of, uh, <laughs> of phone usage. Only use speakerphone when necessary. I personally really like to use speakerphone. The other day I was on the phone with it to my ear for like 40 minutes. It was a longer conversation and my cheek got kind of sweaty and accidentally turned on the speakerphone. And then I practically blew my eardrum out, just scaring myself. <laughs> um, but I would love to know what other folks think. 503-231-8187. Are there things that people are doing with their phone that you find irritating? I would also like to know that. Maybe I've been out here walking around like a jerk, not uh, not, not being considerate of, of the people around me. I think that there it just is a different a different standard for it now though, but I don't think that it is, you know, as as well established. Um, I found a Guardian article as well that is calling it fubbing. Stop fubbing, P-H-U-B-B-I-N-G, uh, as like snubbing, but with your phone. 
Um, so, I mean, that they are, they're a real publication. Uh, one of the ones that they say is scrolling in the company of your pet is something that you're not, you shouldn't be doing. Um, or, you know, waking up and turning to your phone before your partner. Uh, one thing that I've kind of personally been trying to resist is when I'm out with a friend and we're at a restaurant or something and they go to the bathroom trying to resist the urge to just immediately start flipping through stuff because I mean if I was reading something or I was in the middle of something earlier that I wanted to finish that's that's one thing but what am, what am I even looking for I could I could sit here quietly and look around kids today don't know about that I would <laughs> if, if anyone who uh you know remembers looking around please call 503-231-8187 you can also message on the website our website is kboo.fm in the right or sorry yeah the right hand corner of the page there's a little button that says chat with us you can message us on instagram as well as at the gap radio okay let's talk some more some more phone etiquette uh, you're not supposed to take a call on public transport, is what I'm hearing. Um, but even taking a boring call, apparently you are not supposed to do. But this is, a, again, according to a, to an etiquette person who, I mean, I, I feel like there's the high standard and then it's like, you know, somebody, somebody called me. But I also wouldn't want to hear somebody get into a heated discussion on the phone. Well, actually, maybe I would. That might be some drama I'd like to be. Uh, I'd like to be involved in, uh, but we have Doug on the line. Hi, Doug. How you doing? Good, good. I like your show. I love your show, actually. And uh, what I think is, I think you should always identify where you're, what you're doing if you're on, uh, if you're on the the um, open air. You know, mm-hmm. you're, so and and if you if you identify that you're doing something and the person is not comfortable with that then you then they can call back at another time right calling back at another time calling you back in five minutes that's that's powerful yeah i think so too but i'll let you go and <laughs> i know you haven't got much time i love the interview Bye. oh thank you so much thank you so much i i appreciate that doug um yeah the setting setting some standards setting some expectations out there because i think that there's there's also a range of people who are, you know, more or less aggravated by, by those type of things. Um, I understand we have Tammy on the line. Tammy, how are you? Hey, how's it going? Can you yes! You guys, if you don't listen to the show normally, Tammy's usually here. But now she's on the phone. Hi, Tammy. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> I love the interview. It was fantastic. I'm very excited to see all the films. Yeah, they were I wanted to answer your community question. Oh, please. You're never Um, on the other side of this. This is like, this is a real, this is exciting. Okay, sorry. I'll stop cutting you off. Well, it's a great question. It's a great question, I got to say. First thing that came to mind is when you're in public transportation and people have their music playing. Mm. Get yourself some headphones. Ask me for my headphones. Something of that sort. Be great. Um, and also, like, when people are on their phone, like, playing around, squirreling, uh, scrolling while they're with their friends, mm-hmm. that's not nice. You know, we're out for dinner. Talk to me. I'm right here. You know, that can wait. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Yep. With the way that headphones have gotten so cheap lately, it might, you know, depending on how often you're encountering it, I got, I got a couple of terrible ones at home that I would be happy to lose, you know, to somebody who's who's I've, got a tune. I've, I've actually started carrying around, like, the ones that you get free from airplanes. Oh. Uh, do they work? Not really, but it's better than listening to your not great music. <laughs> I, 
I, that's, that's, that's all great. I love that. Thank you so much for calling, Tammy. It's so wonderful to hear your voice. Hopefully we'll get a full hour of Thank it next much. week. Okay, you have a fabulous yeah, rest of the day. Can't wait to be there. Yay. Oh my gosh, we heard from Tammy. It's a normal episode after all. <laughs> Everything's fine. But yeah, no, I, I I totally agree. I sometimes if I forget and maybe this is actually a segment of Althea, you've been kind of rude about your phone and you're just sort of discovering it through other people. But I totally have like if I forgot my headphones and I want to listen to a song, I might like play it and then just hold the phone to my ear, but that's different than having a speaker. And I would probably try to turn it down if I'm walking by somebody that maybe is not interested in the in the cool song that I wanted to hear. <clears throat> if other folks want to call, we're talking phone etiquette. Is it what did it used to be? What is it now? Again, maybe I'm discovering some things about myself. 503-231-8187 is the number. If you would like to message us on the website, kbu.fm, you can do that as well. Uh, back to, you know, what the, what the, what the publications are saying. Uh, one of the other no-nos, lowering your eyes to a screen during a conversation. Oh boy. Uh, do I, do I agree with this one? Just when you can see that someone is drifting and it's not even like, you know, somebody is like not paying attention to you anymore. They're actually actively paying attention to something else. This Guardian article, uh, talks about so-and-so's husband's eyelids are being, are the curtains of the soul. Um, which is, which I think is kind of funny. Um, but yeah, like I think making clear a delineation of when you're going to look at your phone, um, I will like sometimes say to people, it's like, Hey, sorry, I have to respond to this text message or, Hey, give me one second. I need to, you know, look at this email. And then other times I like look, cause I, again, maybe this is, maybe this is my own call out question. Uh, I get the, like the notifications of the emails on my phone with like two, three lines of it and I'll click on it and I'll open it and I'll go, ugh. And then whoever I'm with is like, oh, are you, is everything okay? Like what's going on? I'm like, no, it's fine. It's just, ugh. <laughs> I did that the other day during the newscast actually, not on air, but while I was, while I was board hopping and the person in the room was like, what, are you all right? What's going on? Everything, everything is okay. Uh, I just, have to have a immediate visceral reaction and then I'll dial it back. Um, some other things, scrolling while watching TV. This one, it, it says it's fine if both parties are doing it. Um, I, yeah, if I'm alone, sometimes I like to, I like to play a little bit of a game on my phone while I'm, you know, cause not, not, not everything. Our attention spans are so, are terrible these days. We, we got to acknowledge that. Uh, but if you're trying to show somebody a TV show and they're scrolling, Ouch. That one's a little bit for my mom because I know that me and my sister sometimes do that and she does not like it. Um, using devices in the bathroom. Do not take a phone call while using the toilet because it sounds echoey. Um, I don't know. It's <laughs> But in terms of texting, this writer says it's not a crime from a, ma from a manner's point of view. Okay, well, that's great. I, I love to dial it back. Um, Ooh, we got a message on the website. They say, when faced with a few extra minutes, let's say at a restaurant, I do look around and find the experience very calming. Also enlightening, because if I look at what people are doing around me, it's quite interesting. Good material for poems. Ooh, I love that. I love that. I mean, just like focusing on, you know, if you have the impulse while you're out in public to scroll, what if you just sat there quietly and looked around? I feel like there's like this worry about being weird for looking around. But we, we, it's a fundamental fact of what we got going on. We have to look around. We got Annalisa on the line. Hi, how are you? Oh, 
Good morning, Althea. Good morning. First of all, thank you for that uh, fabulous interview that you had earlier. Yeah, they were wonderful. Yeah. Um, however, I have one, one of my protests against the use of the, their phone is when people walk their dogs past my property and then the dogs start doing their thing either against my blueberry bushes or my raspberry bushes, and then the people pretend it's not happening mm. because they are, they are uh, talking on their cell phone and letting their dog do their doo-doos uh, on my uh, front yard. Right. I, I really dislike that because when I do see it, I have to go outside and ask them very politely uh, not to have their dog do that. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, I, but uh, it happens a lot. So anyway. <laughs> no, I, I, we're spreading awareness here on this program about about phone etiquette. And, you know, there, there's a lot of things that I think we're all out here doing without thinking too much about it. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, thank you for the comment. All right. Have a wonderful day. Okay. I love you. <laughs> thank you so much for listening. We have another caller. Hey, caller, how you doing? Hi, is it me? It is. Hi. You're Hi, on. Um. Oh, right. Uh, The thing that I really hate is when a person, and it's usually an older man, um, is on speakerphone like in the market, um, on speakerphone, you know, just like lackadaisically talking like it's their world Mm. and everybody else is just so much uh, debris. Mm. And uh, the person on the other end of the phone sometimes is cussing because he doesn't know that the person is in a supermarket. Oh. And he, yeah, and he's, and I just, it's almost like they're, the, the, the men are trying to show how technologically advanced they are right you know look at look at me i mean i remember the first time i saw a bluetooth this guy (laughs) he was sitting in a pet store sitting on a bunch of bags of dog food just talking away to nothing (laughs) and yeah it was like i'll never forget that image because it was so much of a look at me moment right and that's what bothers me. It's like, I do not want to hear your conversation, and most people don't either, so why are you sitting there like you're in the center of the universe? Right. It's a good, it's a good point. Well, thank you so much for calling. I appreciate it. Thanks. Okay. Well, uh, we, are, we are wrapping things up here. Here's my counterpoint to that. And again, this is a little bit of a snap to reality, Althea. Maybe you're being annoying. At least if I'm having a speakerphone conversation, number one, you warn the person on the other end. Number two, try to be entertaining about it. I understand we have another caller. I don't think that we have time to squeeze it in. I am so sorry. We'll we'll take the comment off the air. Um, I do want to, I have a couple of announcements to, to mention here. Um, it is KBU's all Thrills, No Frills, Volume 3 special programming campaign. So I just want everybody to start thinking about it. There's a lot of fun and exciting things happening. Um, the MLK Remote is, uh, you know, a, a beloved KBU event. 
got moved because of the ice storm. It is Saturday 1 to 5. Uh, that will be at uh, Highland Church, but it will also be here on the radio, which we, we love to have. Um, also, of course, the Cascade Festival of International Films is going on um, on the weekends through uh, through March. So, ca- oh, sorry, the, the URL is AfricanFilmFestival.org. Um, you have been listening to The Gap on KBOO Portland. I'm Althea Billings. Thank you so much to my interview guests from earlier. Thank you to everybody who called. Thank you to Tammy. Thank you to Sherry, who's running the board for me. And uh, we will